If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open to two places, John chapter number 15 and Isaiah chapter number 5. John chapter number 15 and also Isaiah chapter number 5. If you were with us last Sunday, we, we began and kind of stepped out and take a brief overview over the chapter John 15 where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, abide in me. And as we looked closer at the call that Jesus gave us to abide or, or to remain, we, well, we saw that the call was not to just come be close to Jesus, but to truly be connected to Jesus because being close to Jesus has never been enough. It wasn't in the time of Christ, and it certainly isn't today, even one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, who was very close to Christ, it was eventually revealed he was not connected to Jesus. And, and I, I hope that last week, as we, we began to examine it more and more, uh, that we looked to see if a genuine relationship existed between ourselves and, and Christ. Because Jesus is not just simply a, well, a ticket out of hell. Through praying a brief prayer, as many people relegate Jesus to be. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to have a relationship with the Father is, is through Christ. But we also saw, as we looked in John 15 last week, that uh, Jesus was speaking this, abide in me, to his 11 disciples. The, the, the 12th disciple, Judas, had already gone, the one who was disconnected. And so he's looking at 11 men who were already connected, 11 men that he would say, and just briefly he would say, you are already clean. But he was saying, abide in me. And, and, and last week, as I was working through that myself, I was thinking, why does Christ tell those who are abiding in him to abide in him? And I, I saw in my own life that one reason Jesus commands me to abide in him is because my natural instinct is to abandon him. And not running after evil things, but, but abandoning him running after good things. Because many, for many Christians, it's natural for us to want to go do things for Christ. Forgetting that our greatest calling is to be with Christ, to be connected to Christ. And, and I'll come back to this time and time again as we go through John chapter 15. But something that I miss, and it's no fault of anyone but my own, but something I missed throughout much of my life was that I know that I looked to Christ for salvation and the connection was made to be a Christian. But I assumed that once that connection was made for salvation, that after salvation, I had to go about doing good things to, to keep that connection there. And I would go to church. I'd read my Bible. I'd, even as a child, I would tithe on my birthday money. I'd go to Sunday school and memorize the verses and, and give to the visiting missionaries. I'd, I'd try to do my best to be a youth group and, and be a small group whenever we had it. And always thinking that these things I was doing for Christ we're pleasing him. And it wasn't until a connection was made that, you know what, he could see my heart. And Jesus, he knew that all these things I was doing for him was not out of a heart that really loved him. It was out of a heart that said, I know that if I do these things, it'll make me feel good in comparison to people around me. And it'll make me, if I don't do them, I'll feel guilty sometimes. And I don't want to live with that guilt, so I'll do this even though I don't want to out of love. And it, it wasn't until the connection of the gospel was made in my heart and mind that I realized that 
It's the same connection that I made with Jesus for salvation is the connection I need to grow after salvation. Somehow I assumed that Jesus forgave me of my sins and cleansed me from all unrighteousness at the point of salvation, but now it's up to me to stay righteous. It was up to me to continue to live in the way that Jesus had made me and, and without understanding that there was nothing that I could do to bring holiness into my life. The Pharisees tried to do this and Jesus called them hypocrites because Jesus knows that I do not produce holiness in my life as a result of my righteous actions. It's Christ who produces holiness in my life as a result of my right connection to him. Jesus calls all of us to live a holy life, but it's only Jesus who can make me holy. That's why he says, abide in me and not go do something for me. And how many, and this morning we'll, uh, we'll return to John chapter 15 and I'll As we go through the passage verse by verse, I want this one truth to share with you today And it'll probably be the truth we return to next week because we won't get through it But but here's the truth for today and and possibly next sunday that the ability to be a fruit-bearing branch It begins with my connection to jesus as the vine But it also requires the attention of the father as the vine dresser. If I want to be a fruit-bearing Christian that begins with my connection to Jesus as the vine, but it also requires the attention of the vine dresser. Before we look at John 15, let me ask how many of you parents that have raised children, you ever heard this from a teenager? Oh, you can't do that to me. You're ruining my life. My kids say it when I embarrass them uh, terribly. Sometimes it happens when you embarrass your kids. Sometimes it tells when you ground them from something that they really want to do. Or, or God forbid, you take away the, the cell phone or you, you take away the, the video game access. You're ruining my life. Because in that moment that you're bringing correction to your children, they, they can't see anything other, the pre, other than the present situation that they're in. And you know they blame you for that. But you as a parent, you know that that the correction you're bringing is is not to hurt them. It's it's ultimately to to help them. Because as a parent, you're far more interested in seeing your children grow up to become God-fearing, respectable adults who are filled with character than you are to let your 14-year-old be happy in that moment. My actions as a parent are fueled As I prepare my children for their future while their responses are fueled by their desire to be happy in the moment That's important to remember as we go into these first five verses of john chapter 15 If you'll join me there this morning john chapter 15, but we're going to look at the first five verses together this morning says Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says I am the true vine My father is the vine dresser Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in these first few verses, we're introduced to the like the characters, if you would, that Jesus is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and we as his disciples are, are the branches. But, but when you read the whole passage, really, I kind of wonder, God, or Jesus, why are you introducing the father as the vine dresser? Isn't the point of this passage that we, the branches, need to remain and abide in you, Jesus, the, the vine? Why? Why bring in the vine dresser who, who cuts away branches that don't bear fruit and who prunes branches that do bear fruit? And I believe it's because Jesus is from the beginning reminding us and teaching us that fruit bearing starts with my connection to the vine. But it requires the attention of the vine dresser. Because here's what we're going to find out about our father, about our vine dresser. He is more committed to his branches being fruitful than being comfortable. See, if a branch is not bearing fruit, it's cut away and discarded. But if it is bearing fruit, it's pruned. There's no middle ground here. There's, there's no, I'm going to bear fruit, so just leave me alone. And It's because the, the purpose of being connected to the vine does not stop at simply being connected to the vine. The purpose of being connected to the vine is to bear fruit, to bear much fruit. But honestly, it's not what a lot of Christians are looking for today. A lot of Christians today are looking for the security of saying, I am connected to the vine. I'm good. What we'll find is it does not fit into the plan of the vine dresser. So if you look back just strictly at verse number one, Jesus makes two statements. I am the vine. My I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Why? The words, the true vine. What we may not know is that Jesus is making a clarification or a statement that would make complete sense to the people who are listening at that moment, his disciples, but it would probably be unclear to us unless we take this reference. If you were to write the words, I love the stars and stripes, you and I, and probably most everybody would know that that's in reference to America. But just imagine 2,000 years from today, there's no America in existence, and someone were to simply pick up the words, I love the stars and stripes. Would they be able to connect that to a patriotic reference of a nation? Most likely not. And what we need to understand is that when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's not simply talking about a vineyard. He is making a very bold statement to these Israelite men and all who would read his words when he says, I am the true vine. Because you see, Israel, the nation of Israel, was also God's vine. If you have Isaiah 5, I'd love for you to, to join me there. 
In Isaiah 5, we're going to read seven verse, the first seven verses, and it's going to talk about a vineyard. And what we'll find out as we read is it's the Lord's vineyard, and he's going to eventually, in verse 7, call out the vines as Israel. Well, let's read them together. Isaiah 5, verse 1 says this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what, what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled upon. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So in these seven verses of Isaiah 5, we see the same picture we do in John 15. We see a gardener, and the gardener is God, and there is a vine that is growing. But this time, it's not the true vine, it's, it's the vine of the nation of Israel. And you notice what this gardener did in these verses. He, he, he chose some very fertile land for this vine. It, it, we know it as the promised land. He dug and cleared out stones as, as God went in and told the nation of Israel, I will clear out the wicked nations inhabiting the promised land. I will clear them out for you. The gardener planted choice vines as God himself chose to plant Israel in that promised land. He built a watchtower so that that watchtower could guard the vines and, and, and God gave them laws and God gave them leaders so that the vines could flourish and grow. God prepared a wine press ready to squeeze the fruit that his vines would produce as his glory went throughout the entire world. But when the vine dresser of Isaiah 5 returned to the vineyard in this very fertile land where the stones had been cleared, where the watchtower was built, where the, vine, where, where the wine press was ready, he, he came and he harvested on these vines, not, not grapes that he desired, but wild grapes that were useless and could not be used. And God says, oh Israel, judge for me, go ahead. What else could I have done? What more could I have done for you, for you to produce, for you to produce fruit that would be a blessing to me? But instead you created, you, I find wild grapes useless. And he says, so here's what I will do. I will clear out this land. I'm going to knock the walls down. And I'll let people trample you as Babylon came to attack the nation of Israel. 
And I will no longer prune you. I will no longer correct you to try to bring you back to myself. I'll let you go to the gods that you're serving. I'll even turn the water off as the temple is destroyed and the glory of God leaves the land and is completely barren. All because Israel, God's vine, did not love him and obey his commands. But God is so good, so faithful, so merciful. When, when Israel returned and said, oh, please, God, would you, would you forgive us and would you, would you save us? Huh. God sent a remnant back to this vineyard. And the temple was rebuilt and the walls were rebuilt and sacrifices returned. And, and for a moment, as you read the close of the Old Testament, you get excited that maybe the vines of Israel that were planted there could bear real fruit for the glory of God. But in the 400 years from between the Old Testament ending to the New Testament beginning, the vine grows. And as the New Testament opens up, we read... Oh, here's a vine no longer seeking after other gods. Here is a vine that was so bent on not seeking other gods that they put restrictions and laws in place on the people so much so that they hated the worship of God. They did not want the temple of God. They did not want the sacrifices of God. And what you find is you find a group of people with hardened hearts once again squeezed dry of the fruit God would desire. And so what, is, what does the gardener do? He plants this time a new vine, a true vine. He sends Jesus as the true vine. And how is Jesus the true vine? Because as Israel failed to love God, Jesus loved And as Israel failed to follow the commands of God with a heart for God, Jesus loved the Lord. He said, I will not speak my own words. I'll speak his words. I will not do my will. I will do his will. In fact, I find my meat from doing the will of the Father. And time and time throughout the Gospel of John, you say Jesus saying, I am not here of my own. I am here for him and him alone. Jesus, as an individual fulfills all that Israel as a nation had failed to do. That's why he's a true vine. And you see it in John 15, 10, where Jesus says this to his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus was calling to his disciples, saying this, the vine of Israel, where so many of you find your heritage and you find your pride, the vine of Israel is a failed vine. Don't look to Israel for your life. Look to me. I, I am the true vine. Abide in me. You won't find salvation because of you're a Jew. You won't find salvation because you follow the law. You will find salvation because you have attached yourself and connected yourself to me. And before we think that it's just for the old, just, just, just for those Israels, don't forget in Romans 11 that Paul speaks to Gentiles, us, the non-Jews. You were a wild olive branch that was tree. What happened to Israel happens in my heart. I don't know about you, but I know what happens in my heart. I look to other things 
I make gods out of other things when I find my security and my comfort and my, my joy. Or I do the exact opposite. I look to the law and I look to how I obey the law and I find my righteousness in what I do or, or, or the fact that I'm in a church or the fact that I'm, I'm a part of something. And Jesus says, none of that gives life. You know, religion doesn't give life. In fact, religion does not produce any fruit other than the fruit of pride most often. Because religion says, look at what I do. And Jesus wants us to say, look at what he did. And Jesus says, stay connected to me. Abide in me. And I will produce the fruit in you the vine dresser desires. Coming to church, and I know it's weird for a pastor to say this, but coming to church does not produce the fruit God's looking for in you. Doing good things and going about doing good things, which are wonderful, does not produce the fruit that God is looking for. It is only in our abiding in the vine. It is only in our resting in Jesus. And as we rest in Jesus, the fruit is produced and good works do come, but because of the abiding in the vine. And when Jesus says stay connected to me, he knows that if we stay connected, we will produce the fruit the vine dresser desires. And that sounds so good for like a minute. Because did you read what happens when you are a branch connected to the vine producing the fruit the vine dresser desires? Did you read what happens? He shows up to prune you. Why does God have to show up with pruning shears if I'm bearing fruit? Why can't he just leave me to stay comfortable? And we have to remember that the gardener is committed He's committed to making you and I not comfortable, but more like Jesus, to be fruitful, not comfortable. And I know sometimes it sounds painful and terrible, but, but one of Pastor Mike's good friends, Bud McCord, he, he, he's a missionary, and he wrote a book about John 15 I read last year, and it was so powerful. But this statement, he said, pruning is the vine dresser's commitment to our future. If he did not care, he would not prune. But the problem is when we feel the pruning shears, we don't know what God's doing. Just like our kids don't understand when we take something from them that they want so bad and we take it from them and say, I am doing this for your future good, not for your present happiness. And when God comes at times and he takes the pruning shears to our life, we don't see what he's doing. We only feel what is happening to us in the moment. But the purpose of the gardener is to make us more like Jesus, not to hurt us to help us he's preparing us for a new growing season a new future that god alone can see and as god prunes he is widening the soul to receive more from the vine and to release more fruit and i'm not wrapping up yet so don't let me let me lose you but Next week, we'll, we'll spend more time talking about the vine dresser pruning. But I want to 
share with you how God used this in my own heart this week. As I was reading and studying how the vine dresser cuts away, he cuts away dead branches. He also, he also prunes branches that I may be looking to for life instead of the vine. But he also prunes branches that are simply preventing me from growing greater fruit, producing or bearing greater fruit. And as I thought through this, and I, I usually try to take just a little time to think through the message and how God is, is speaking directly to me, and I... I went back to my own spiritual journey. For 41 years of my life, I had three pastors. Now, two of those pastors were, man, they were really good preachers and teachers. They were, they were very charismatic and exciting in the way they presented truth. They're the kind of pastors who would preach a sermon and you'd lose track of time and you'd be like, wow, you mean you've been preaching that long? Wow, I didn't even realize it. And they could masterfully tell stories and draw out, uh, draw out feelings and, and even lead thousands at one time to make emotional decisions. And I honestly, I'll be, I looked forward to hearing them teach and preach. And then our church called a new pastor. And I don't mean this as a criticism in any way, so please don't take it at that. But, but in comparison to what I had heard, his teaching and preaching fell a little flat. He would teach a Bible passage, and he'd, he'd preach through it without any funny stories or illustrations that I was so used to hearing. His, his recipe was seemingly, hey, let's open up the Word of God, see what it says. And so now that we see what it says, let's apply it to our lives. And so now that we know how to apply it to our lives, let's go out and live it. Have a good week. And I was like, hey, where's the stories? Make me laugh. Like, entertain me. And to be honest, I, I, didn't, I didn't really like the way that he preached. And to be honest, there were times I didn't want to go to church because I knew I wouldn't be entertained. What I didn't realize was that God was preparing me for a growing season in my own life that I did not know was coming. Because it was under the leadership of that pastor where God revealed in my heart that he wanted me to be a pastor. But I had to grow. Because as I looked at my own spiritual life, I realized I was putting a greater focus on what I wanted out of church rather than what God wanted for me. I was considering not going to church based on the pastor instead of based on my Savior. My heart wanted someone to deliver the word in the way I preferred Without knowing what was happening, God was pruning my heart from the need to receive his truth with humor and entertainment or emotional appeals. And God wanted me to want the word because God wanted me to want more of him. What I didn't realize, what I was missing was that God was making room in my life. He was pruning in my life so I would have room to grow because it was during that time I began digging more and more into the Word of God myself. And, and I began reading more and more books myself, having no idea that God was preparing my heart to hold so closely to His Word and to His promises that I would, in just a few short days, be willing to leave my family, my friends, my church of a lifetime, and ask my kids and my wife to do the same all because i knew 
what God was doing because he had allowed me to grow. And although I didn't realize it at that time, God was preparing me to preach the word of God to this flock. See, God was pruning me to give me more room for growth because he knew what his plans were for me when I did not. He knew he'd be bringing me to a flock that was shepherded faithfully for nearly three decades by, by Pastor Kavnis. And, and he knew, he knew that I would never be able to teach the word of God like Pastor Kavnis could deliver. But I had to be okay with that because I knew God had brought me here. And he knew that I would never be able to provide the passionate stirring of souls that Pastor Mark had provided for so many of you. And he knew the comparisons would come my way and that I would fall short every time. But I had to be okay with that because I had to know God brought me here for two growing seasons. My growing season and your growing season. Because it was this week where the Lord reminded me that part of the pruning he does in his churches is for his people to bear greater fruit, not just as pastors. Because sometimes we, we buy into the lie that someone or something is what is necessary for me to grow in Christ, but God prunes because he wants to remind us all that you need to abide in the vine, and in the vine you will find everything you need for the growth that I desire in you to bear the fruit I want you to bear. It's in letters to the church where Francis Chan wrote that many Christians today are like the nation of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. Everyone knew that the presence of God was there, but the people said to Moses, you go for us and you tell us what he has to say. They sent a messenger for them instead of going themselves. And then Chan made this incredibly powerful statement. He said, movements of God begin when the founder knows and loves Jesus deeply. And movements end when the followers only know and love their leader deeply. And what God did in my heart, in my time with him alone this week, was to remind me what my place is as your pastor. I am not to go to God for you. I am not to bear fruit for you. I am not to be the one to abide in the vine in your place. And that's hard for a pastor like me, because there's this longing in my self-centered, prideful heart that says, I want to hear the church say, man, that sermon was a blessing. Man, I can't believe you got that out of the Word of God. I never would have got that out of the Word of God. I want to stand at the back door and have people come to me and say, man, pastor, woo, that was so good. I love it. Hey, pastor, we need you. That's what my heart wants to hear. But that's pride. Because you don't need me. All you need is Jesus. It's all you need. There's no split abide in your pastor and abide in the vine. It is simply abide in Christ. Period. 
It may sound strange, but as I was asking the Lord, okay, so like, what, what place, what role do I fit in the church then? And this is what he said to me. It's going to sound so stupid to some of you. Forgive me. But he's like, you remember the best meal you ever had? And I'm like, yes. The best meal I ever had was at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Jamie, you remember going there? Greg, my, my boss, when I, was a, when, I was paint, when I was a full-time painter, he took us to downtown Chicago. We had this steak. It came out. It was sizzling, covered in butter. And I'm sorry, Trenton, but this was the best filet mignon I've ever had in my life. And then the Lord asked me this question. You remember? You remember that steak? I was like, I remember that steak. And here's what he asked me. Who served it to you? And I was like, I have no idea. He said, that's your role in the church. You present the bread of life to this church. And you let them feast on Jesus. And then you slip out. And we don't celebrate the servant. We celebrate the Savior. We don't celebrate the one who brought the meal. We celebrate the one who is the meal. Oh, and you say, well, how does that fit into abiding? Can, can I just, I just want to bring, can, I'm just going to set the dessert, all right? I'm going to set the dessert, the best dessert you've ever had in front of you for a moment. Forget about me for, you know, Jesus is the true vine, the true vine. He produced the fruit the vine dresser desired. We didn't. We're, we're, we're like that as Isaiah 5 vine, right? We're the wild grapes. We, we, we were the ones that God did everything for, and we still brought ourselves up rebellious and wild, right? right? Do you remember what happened in Isaiah 5? Those vines got trampled. The vineyard was forsaken, and the water was turned off. So the wild vines. Can I give you a piece of dessert? Jesus was the true vine. You know what the vine dresser did to him? He let him be trampled. He deserted and forsook the true vine. And our vine stayed, laid on that cross and yelled the words, I thirst, because God turned it all off. Jesus was barren. The true vine. <laughs> Why? So that the wild grape-bearing vines like us could receive the care of the vine dresser to graft us in to the tree of life, not because of anything we do, but because we believe in the one who did. Oh, that's a good piece of dessert. That's all about Jesus, not about the one who brought it. So how do we end? Rejoice that the true vine was trampled and destroyed in your place. Don't, don't miss it. In just a moment, I'll have you bow your head and close your eyes. And we'll just take a moment. I just want you to rejoice that Jesus was trampled when you deserved it. And then remind yourself daily of what you received in Jesus and then offer the same to others. You've been forgiven, offer forgiveness. You've been received his mercy, you offer mercy. You've received his grace, you give his grace. And then whatever God's doing in your life, just rest. In the work of the vine dresser, knowing that his daily work is not to make you comfortable. It's to make you more like Jesus so you could be fruitful with the fruit of the true vine.
Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I... I remember when you hit me with that truth that the true vine just got trampled. Like that, was my, that was my place. And God, my desire is not to stand up here and have this church thing. What a, what a, what a great message. What a great past. Oh, it's what a great Savior, period. What a great Savior. Lord, I pray that we would see how much you love us and that your care for us pouring your wrath out on your perfect son in our place. God, may we rejoice in that. Church family, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, can I just ask you, just just take a few moments. would Would you rejoice that the vine that had the perfect fruit, the vine that loved God the way he should and obeyed God with a heart, Perfectly in line with his desires. That vine was stepped on. It was ripped apart. It was beaten and bloodied in, in your place. That you are, and I, we're the, we're the wild vine that deserved to be abandoned and forsaken, but we received the tender care of the vine dresser. who grafted us into his family. Oh, and then would you, would you ask the Lord to give you moments this week where you can offer forgiveness to others, where you can offer mercy and grace and kindness and generosity to others because it's what you have received from the vine. Jesus, We just ask that you to keep working in our hearts. Keep drawing us to you because we want to run. We want to abandon. But Lord, we need to abide. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here and they don't know you as their personal Savior, Father, if they're looking to themselves to produce good fruit, Father, I pray that they would realize the only way to produce the fruit necessary for salvation is for Jesus to produce it in me. And Lord, that there would be men and women who would would trust in your work on our behalf rather than our work for salvation and righteousness' sake. God, I just... I just want to rejoice in who you are. And Lord, go out and live the fruit to others that you have given to us. May we as a church abide in you and rest in the work the vine dresser continues to do in our lives.